and welcome back to the Labari Media Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph. On today's episode, we talk to Jessica Hope from Wimbad PR. So Wimbad PR is a UK-based uh, personal relations company. They are helping mostly African tech companies, you know, with their PR strategies. So on today's episode, we just had a little chat about, you know, PR in Africa and what are the trends and what are the challenges happening so far on the continent. We talked a little bit about crisis PR and what they have in store for next year in 2024. Pretty good episode with Jessica. I think you like it. So sit back, relax and enjoy. joined today by Jessica Hope from Wimbat. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Joseph? I'm doing pretty good. So yeah, we've been in contact over the last couple of years, you know, just, you know, I've been working with you guys on press releases and other content as well. Um, I think the first question of the bat, I just want to know, like, how long have you been doing PR? Just to about uh, you know? Good question. I've actually been doing PR for almost 20 years, actually. I can't believe it. 20 years. So that, that's so interesting. Like, what's like, what's the journey been like for you so far? So I was actually a failed journalist. Um, I always had wanted to be a journalist when I was at university. I uh, worked on quite a few media publications, did loads of work experience on lifestyle magazines, university publications, um, all sorts of publications. I even did work experience at the BBC in the editorial department. And then I worked on a couple of magazines. I worked on a lifestyle publication called uh, Panache, which was run by Jason and Joku. That was in Manchester straight after university. Uh, That magazine folded and I needed a job. And I met this woman in a pub and she was uh, talking about that she was a PR account director or something at quite a big agency. So she gave me some work experience. And I turned up there and I realized there was quite a lot of skills that were required the same skills from uh, journalism to PR and then got another job, a proper job, paid job in PR. And it, it went from there. All right. So you've been doing this for 20 years, almost 20 years. I don't want to give my age away too much. <laughs> sure. Uh, almost 20 years. So were you always focusing in the UK or were you focusing on more like the European market first? To start with, it was all UK press. I worked in a B2B agency in Manchester, and then I moved back down to London. I worked in-house for a construction platform, for an arts platform. Then I worked in a museum. I worked at Natural History Museum for a few months in the press office. That was really good press office experience. And then I got a job as head of press at the Jewish Museum in London, which was probably more consumer facing. Uh, working on exhibitions and supporting the kind of marketing activities to get more people to come to the museum. And from there, I was offered the role as global head of communications for Iroko, uh, Iroko TV, which was a platform, the Nollywood platform set up by Jason and Joku. See how things come full circle. And that was probably my first global role in terms of having to target more international outlets. Cool. So how did the... uh... In the idea of Wombat even come into play. Were you focusing on just something in the African market that was not being catered for it, or was there some other uh, kind of inspiration behind that? No, I think that, you know, working for Iroko was really my first foray into international, global international press and the African market. Um, I started Iroko at Iroko in 2012, I think. So internationally, no one was really covering 
the African tech uh, or startup market, really. So with, um, you know, quite naively, I guess I just started p- pitching some global outlets. Uh, this really interesting story of Rocco TV. Um, there was a few reasons for that. It was, you know, brand building for Jason and, and the company as well, just to open doors for him when he was looking to have meetings with other tech platforms in, in Silicon Valley and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I sort of learned how to sort of pitch and started working with international outlets there. And then along the way, of course, you have to kind of think about your your homegrown and your local market as well. So started engaging with, you know, the local African um, focused tech blogs to start with. Yeah. So early days, you know, some people remember Techloy when mm. that was really, you know, really popping and then really early days working on with Tech Cabal as well. And then I remember when TechPoint launched. So, the, you know, 2012, 2013 was really when I started working with African outlets. Okay, that's interesting. So your first client, was, would you say, was Iroko? Well, I worked for Iroko for three and a half years uh, and I did both uh, consumer PR and then corporate PR. So a lot of the, the B2B and the fundraise announcements and the brand building, et cetera, as well as working on the Nollywood and Afrobeat side of things mm-hmm. as well, which was all really new to me. Um, so yeah, so that was um, that was what I focused on. And then when I left Iroko, Iroko was my first client as I started Wimbart. Okay, so what were some of the early challenges when they're working with uh, tech companies in Africa? as far as, you know, trying to get their, their stories out there, news out there, what were some of the early challenges? So I think I was fortunate that I'd done quite a lot of the hard work with Iroko. So by the time I left Iroko, there was more uh, interest in the growing African tech space. I think there was a little bit more capital going into the, into the space as well, into the sector. Um, but originally the early stage challenges, you know, when I started pitching Iroko, this was again, 2012, some journalists would just come back and really bluntly say they didn't want to write about Nigerian internet fraudsters. Wow. (laughs) They were that blunt. And I I, I couldn't, I could not believe it. So I spent a lot of time pitching, um, you know, once people spoke to Jason, they really realized, A, he was super engaging. This was not fraud. He was actually (laughs) building a fascinating company. He was attracting uh, international funds, you know, think about the early days investors in Morocco, Tiger Global and, and Shinovic, for example. So he really was part of that, I guess, legitimization process in terms of having uh, outsiders look at the African tech space. And he was part of, I guess, reshaping the narrative around African tech and African internet companies. Would you say there are still some misconceptions when it comes to tech in Africa, you know, when you're trying to pitch to different, different outlets? I think so a little bit. I don't think it's as, as brutal as it was back in 2012. I think there's more interest. Um, I do think that some um, some of the misconceptions is that, you know, uh, a lot of journalists are surprised by, you know, how mobilized, as in how many people have mobile phones in Africa. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that sometimes people are shocked at how far Africa is in terms of some of the technologies that are leveraged and used and being built. Um, and I think there's the the general misconception, not just for tech, but in Africa generally, is that, you know, it's charity, um, you know, and that the continent is just war-torn and is not really focused on business building. Um, quite often, even if I get a taxi to the airport and I say I'm going to go, uh, I'm coming to Nigeria, I'm going to Kenya to work, 
a taxi driver in the UK will often say, oh, do you work for a charity? Oh, wow. I work with um, some of the most prominent and exciting uh, innovators, entrepreneurs, business people on the continent. Wow. Wow. So that perception is still kind of in the Western side that, you know, Africa is still war-torn. We're still kind of struggling and everything else. I would say that would be the sort of man or woman on the streets. Um, but I guess not in the circles that I move in, probably not. You know, I'm fortunate enough to work with really exciting uh, and well-informed people. Hmm, interesting. Would you say that Wimbad has a different approach with PR when it comes to the African market? You know, you know, because I know like maybe in the Western world, like some PR firms have more access to data and some other things and resources. But would you say Wimbad is a bit different when it comes to PR in Africa? I would say so. I think we straddle quite a tricky market. You know, I think there are some smaller PR agencies on the continent, the African market that still, I wouldn't even say that they're necessarily doing PR, it's more pay for play. So they'll write a piece of content and they'll play an outlet to post it online. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily PR, it's more content marketing. Mm. Uh, Often it's because they don't feel empowered enough to go back to the client and say, well, actually, that's not a news story. Mm. Um, whereas we're more likely to say to a client, actually, you know, it's important to have earned media. We think it's more powerful. We know what journalists are going to be interested in. They might not be interested in the story in this way, but can we tag it onto something else? Or can we look at ways to make it more newsworthy? So we actually spend quite a lot of time developing news narratives. Um, so that's probably why we're slightly different to some of the African agencies. In terms of the UK agencies, I think, you know, we we do try uh, and conform to, I guess, sort of UK standards and our approach, but I think how we work with journalists is maybe often slightly different to how UK agencies work with journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess we're a sort of a hybrid between the two. Okay, that's interesting. So you would say PR firms here, and I would say PR firms across the continent are not kind of employing kind of the Western standards. Would you say that? I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I don't, Think, I think that some of the much, much smaller agencies can sometimes succumb to just pay, pay for play. Hmm. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. So well, how would you say the role of social media has come into play when it comes to PR? Because nowadays, you know, get a lot of startup founders, you know, tweeting, talking about their companies, being more, I guess, out there as far as building their brands. Um, would you say that it's played a big role when it comes to PR nowadays? Because, you know, everybody's kind of using that you know as a tool to kind of pitch their companies now yeah i think that you can actually just remove the word africa from that question i think that social media plays a massive part in pr globally um for example you can have ceos who have really um really solid uh i guess emotional intelligence and can really read a room and and build a profile on social media so much so that they might not even need to issue out press releases they could announce a fundraise on their on their uh, Twitter, I guess X now, um, and it would get quite a lot of traction. The flip side of that is that you have some CEOs who don't have as much emotional intelligence and they're constantly, uh, pushing out stories or their opinions, which actually might kind of lead to potential crisis communications, um, or they're kind of diverting attention maybe away from the business uh, and focusing very much on this on themselves as well. Um, so I think that, you know, the, you know, social media platforms are, uh, powerful still. Um, it They do give companies and founders and entrepreneurs a way of trying to control their narrative. And uh, that's great as well. But I think also they have to be 
uh, you, social media channels have to be used with caution as well. Yeah. Do you advise your clients to kind of, you know, have a template when they're trying to talk about their company in social media or you just kind of don't put that in place? I wouldn't say a, too much a template. We don't want it to become inauthentic or too prosaic. Um, you know, it depends as well on, on the social media channel. You know, Twitter probably needs to be more more pithy, more, you know, shorter, maybe direct to a, you know, a link somewhere else. LinkedIn is often more sort of conservative, um, but obviously you still want to build a little bit of personality so you can drive up engagement as well. So it just depends. I think when we're advising our clients, we make sure that our advice is focused very much on tailoring content for the audience as well and for the platform. That's so, so yeah, I think you mentioned um, crisis management a bit. So would you say that, you know, with social media, your work can become a little more cumbersome when it comes to crisis management? Because, you know, something may happen and a founder may want to maybe speak out on social media, but they might not put all the facts there and then somebody kind of pushes back. So would you say that maybe social media has kind of increased your work when it comes to crisis management? It has. Um, but I mean, that's just the ever-evolving kind of suites of activities that make up PR and comms, I guess. Yeah. Um, we, we try and advise our clients about, you know, best practice and best use of social media, especially if there's a crisis. For example, you can tell the companies that have really thought about their crisis communications when they don't sort of have a fallout in real time on Twitter. Sorry, X. Um, no, so we, we, no, we don't necessarily, if someone complains, we don't need to see the whole drama. Right. Um, you know, we try, you know, we advise our clients, hey, take it into DM, but make sure you don't ignore people because if, if people are likely to become even more fiery yeah. if there is, um, if they're ignored. Uh, I think the other thing with, with social media is that it's given everyone a voice uh, and people are happy to exercise their voices. Um, but it also, I think, forces a situation in terms of making companies realize that uh, building a great product isn't just about PR. You know, you actually have to build a great product because you can have fabulous PR and it can be very high profile. You can be in all the top outlets. But if all of your customers are going online onto social media and saying, actually, your product's no good, there's very little PR can do to mitigate uh, that. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. So how would you, like, if you're working with a client, like, what is your, I guess, your success factor or your, how do you measure success when dealing with a client? Is it about getting them more visibility? Is it about, you know, increasing sales numbers? Like, how do you measure success of uh, working with clients? So it's a mixture. It's, uh, I think PR is not really, especially B2B PR, it's not really a, a direct sales tool. Um, it's about brand building. It's about what people say about you. It's about building sentiment as well. So each client is different um, in terms of how they measure success. Some clients, not many, they just want lots of bits of coverage to help with their SEO. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not the only um, tool for measurement. Others want to kind of build up a brand and profile. So they're invited to events. Uh, so they're in the right rooms. Uh, that's really important as well. Uh, others want to build their profile in order to get in front of investors. So I guess how many investors that they're able to open doors with and have conversations is also part of the success metrics too. Um, and then when it comes to crisis communications, which you asked about, um, I think a success metric for crisis communications would be everything is prepared in advance and no one ever realizes that there was a crisis. <laughs> 
That's true. I, I can definitely see that. So coming back to your company, Wimbat, um, how many, cl- well, I don't know if you can say, but how many clients do you say you service so far or maybe over the years? Over the years, it's something like it's over 120. Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, are there are there more returning clients or more new clients? Would you say would have had like maybe past two five years? Uh, a mixture. So, for example, we have had one client that started off with a three month project, and we're still working with them six years later. Oh, yeah. We have other clients where we might just work on the six month project for them, and then that's it. They move on. We move on. Uh, a lot of our clients, um, we notice that we'll do a six month project or a one year project, and then they might not need an EPR. They might just be focused very much on product building, business building, et cetera, which is fine. And then they'll come back six months, a year later. We do actually get a lot of clients that return, mm-hmm. um, which is great. They're part of the Wimbart family. And our, our clients are also basically our you know, biggest advocates in terms of new business. Um, they're the ones who make introductions, say nice things about us. Um, so yeah, we're, we're for, we've been really, really fortunate. And then in terms of the makeup of our clients, we have a mixture of uh, retainers. So that's clients that we work with month on month on month. And then we do project work. So fundraise announcements as well, or say mergers and acquisitions. And that would be just a sort of one-off four-week project to, uh, in total. Okay. Would you say the the PR field has come a little more competitive? Because nowadays, lots of companies are coming up from Africa, whether it's Flutterway, FaceTime, other things. Do you, would you say that the competition has gotten more fears or more competitive as far as PR? In terms of PR agencies or people fighting yeah. for column interest? Like PR agencies, are, are there more companies coming into the African market saying, I want to work with these clients or that? Yeah, I think there are. there has been a proliferation of the PR uh, in the PR market. There's uh, definitely a few who work uh, on the continent as well, which is great because it legitimizes the practice of PR uh, and also stops, stops there being a cabal. <laughs> That's true. So just, I think I have a couple more questions. Um, so what do you think the future of PR looks like when it comes to the African market? Like, what are we seeing maybe in the next couple of two, three years? Like, are you seeing any terms of any new, like, strategies, any new tools being used as far as, you know, um, getting visibility for clients? Like, what, what does a PR market look like in Africa in the next couple of years? So I think it's a case of there being more joined up um and a collaboration between the marketing disciplines. So ensuring PR is tied up with marketing, uh, social, et cetera, making sure that, you know, that's kind of like a seamless process. Um, I think we will see a growing trend in terms of crisis communication support as well. I think the first sort of decade of the ecosystem, it was relatively, you know, everyone's just happy that people are raising money and building businesses. But as we've seen in the last two years, you know, businesses go bad or businesses fail or something tumultuous happens and that's not an African tech thing that's an any business thing but I think the African tech space was kind of a bit shocked sometimes when a few bad things happened and they weren't prepared so I think as with any tech ecosystem again you can remove the word Africa from this all companies should have you know crisis comms in place and they should plan in advance with the view to hopefully they spend time and energy putting together crisis communications plans and never have to roll it out. But everyone is prepared and feels comfortable should something happen. And crisis comms isn't just, oh, what happens if a a member of the team says something a bit shocking on social media? For example, 
you know, fintech is obviously the biggest market in the African tech space. There should be crisis comms around for all of the fintechs. They should be thinking about regulatory issues. Mm. What happens if there's uh, fraudulent issues? And they should have processes in place before it happens so they can it can be rolled out very quickly. Basically, if you're scrabbling to do crisis communications as a crisis is happening, it's too late. Yeah. So for me, I think, uh, and we've seen it already with some of our clients, we've even worked on preemptive crisis communications playbooks. So companies that are really thinking two to three steps ahead, they haven't even had a crisis yet, but they want to go through scenario planning. They want to prepare statements. They want to know who's in the chain of command when it comes to sign off. Who do we speak to? Do we speak to lawyers for sign off? Do we speak to the CEO? You know, all of those processes are really, really, really important. Um, so I think that that's going to be a, a trend in the, in the coming years as well. Okay. So I think you mentioned something about crisis management and how it affects, you know, the ecosystem. What do you think about, you know, when something happens in the ecosystem where a bad apple falls out and it kind of creates news and before long, everybody's talking about this is going to affect the African tech ecosystem, even though we see, you know, problems with, you know, Silicon Valley and everything, they have issues as well, but it never seems to affect them as negatively. Like what, what's your perception on that? You know, something happens in that ecosystem and everybody just turns sour. So I disagree. I think when it does happen in Silicon Valley, it does happen. It does affect people really neg- negatively. Um, you know, the fallout is 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 big. But at the same time, I think um, probably because again we had this decade of just good news stories, really very few bad news stories. That it's almost a bit more of a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't forget, we're also working in a smaller tech space. So bad news, good news travels fast. Bad news travels fast. You know, it's Africa is a continent of you know over a billion people, but the African tech space is is still quite small and incestuous, and everyone knows everything as well. Mm. So I think that that's why it has the sort of negative connotations as well. And I think the other thing is that still a lot of VC money being um, funneled into the continent still comes from abroad. Yeah. Still comes from US, from you know Middle East, from China, and so because they don't often have, I guess, the people on the ground and the kind of regional, geographical context, or they don't have the same networks as maybe you and I would do, um, it's easier for them to scare from afar. Mm. Okay, cool. So I have uh, one more question for you. So I think we're running up for the year 2023. So what is next on Wimbet's plate for 2024? Are you guys working on anything special, or are you? venturing into maybe some other type of field we don't know about? I think we're going to continue to double down in sort of African tech space. Over the last couple of years, we've kind of grown our geographical reach. So we've done more press in East Africa. We've done more press and gained more clients in North Africa as well. I think we'll be looking to work with more international clients who maybe want to move into the African space. And so we can represent them. We've also been looking at how we can use our communication skills to um, help with, say, investor comms. So helping startups and companies that are scaling uh, communicate regularly with their investors and potential investors as well. That's really important. You know, it's behind the scenes stuff, but behind the scenes stuff could mean the, you know, being able to uh, cash some big checks. So those are the main things that I think we're going to work on as well. Um, and we're also going to be working on more, I guess, I don't want to say uh, PR education, but supporting startups, understanding what PR is. Uh, and how they can go about it as well. Okay. 
Yeah, I know I said last question, but I have one more question. Um, so how has been WinBets years so far, 2023, like as far as getting clients, you know, just pushing out your content and your business and your brand? How's 2023 been? Yeah. A really hard work. Um, we are a third party provider. Um, so we are at the mercy of the market. If the market's doing well, WinBot does exceedingly well. If the market's doing badly, WinBot um, has a tough time. 2023, we've done far fewer fundraise announcements. Last year, at one point, we were doing maybe three to four a month, some months. This year, I think maybe we've done two or three individual ones. So the market has been quite tough. Uh, we've weathered the storm, which I'm really, really grateful for. Amazing team, amazing clients. Um, but yeah, 2023 has been really hard. We've all of a sudden seen uh, an uptick in new business inquiries, Q4 busy again which is great so it means that we kind of can enter 2024 with a little bit more confidence but yeah like the rest of the market we've had to really uh, dig deep um and i guess focus on what we're really good at and work really hard to keep our clients who some of whom might also be struggling as well making sure that we continue to provide value for them um be super collaborative but yeah 2023 has has been harder uh, but as I say, we have been really fortunate uh, compared to, say, even other global PR agencies that, who operate in the tech space have been forced to make big, um, huge redundancies. And we fortunately have not had to do that this year. So that's a blessing. And that's the positive. Okay, cool. I think on that note, we can end it. Um, thanks, Jessica, for making the time. Always good to talk to you. And no, I don't know, so maybe, maybe one day you should come to Ghana. We should, we should meet up. I know, I need, um, do you know, I've never been to Ghana, that's shocking. Yeah, you've been to Nigeria, but not Ghana. I'm always telling you. I know. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> to Nigeria, never Ghana. <laughs> I need, apparently Ghana is very chilled out compared yeah, to Nigeria. that's for sure. But yeah, thanks a lot, Jessica. I really appreciate the time and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Joseph. All right, take it easy. One, Cheers, two, bye. Three.